Sherlock Holmes. We present the fourth play in our series based on the short stories of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, dramatized by Michael Hardwick, with Carlton Hobbs as Sherlock Holmes and Norman Shelley as Dr. Watson. And now, here is Dr. Watson to introduce the case of The Red Circle. Friend, Mr. Sherlock Holmes was always accessible upon the side of kindliness. He was also accessible through flattery, so that when our visitor, Mrs. Warren, with the pertinacity and cunning of her sex, made use of both these forces to persuade him to listen to her seemingly unremarkable case, he laid down the great scrapbook which had been indexed in arranging and gave her his attention. I well remember my friend, Mr. Fairdale Hobbs. Saying how you brought light into people's darkness. He has never ceased speaking of it, never. And now, now that I'm in doubting doctors myself, I, well, I knew that I must come to you, Mr. Holmes. <laughs> Very well, Mrs. Warren. Now, you say that a youngish man who wouldn't give his name came ten days ago in answer to your advertisement of apartments to let. That's it. There's a small sitting room and bedroom, and all complete, at the top of the house. I showed him over it, and he seemed very pleased indeed. Perfect, madame. Perfect for me. Uh, there's not very much furniture, sir. I'm sorry. But you see, Mr. Warren earns very little. It's no matter at all. Now, I pay you five pounds per week. Oh, no, sir. That would be two weeks. I only ask for six minutes. And I offer five pounds. Here is a ten-pound note for two weeks. Well, sir. Only, I make conditions. Oh, what is that? I have a key of the house. Oh, you have that anyway, sir. And you never enter my room. But, but what about the cleaning? And... Never. I am to be left entirely to myself and on no excuse. On no excuse, madame, am I being disturbed. Well, if that's what you say, sir. That is what I paid for. Uh, Miss Bell, uh, is working? Of course. You might just hear it in the distance. Ah, thank you. Then I ring when I'm ready for my meeting. And you bring to the landing outside and leave for me. You understand? Very good, sir. I'll leave it on the chair out there. When I ring again, you may take away. And for anything I wish, I place a note on the chair. As you say, sir. But are you sure? I am sure, madame, that if you are not keeping my terms in any way, then I am leaving your house at once and there will be no more ten-pound notes for you. Is perfectly clear? Yes, sir. You'll have nothing to complain of, I'm sure. Extraordinary request. Is it, my dear Watson? Eccentric, perhaps, to our way of thinking. But a lodger is entitled to courtesy if he wishes it. And if he's prepared to pay handsomely. Eh, Mrs. Warren? That's just what my old man, uh, Mr. Warren, said when I told him. Well, then, I don't quite see why you find... So it's got beyond all reason. For ten days now he's been up there in those rooms, and I've never once decided on him. No visitors, no letters, nothing. All we hear is him pacing up and down, up and down, and all we see is his notes. I brought someone along to show you, Mr. Holmes. Oh, thank you. Hmm. All printed with a broad-pointed, violet-tinted pencil. They were not unusual patterns. Scope. Daily Gazette. That was the one he left on the first day, sir. I leave that newspaper with his breakfast tray every morning. Printed, Holmes? Oh, couldn't he be trying to disguise his handwriting? No, no. Why should he care about his landlady seeing his writing? 
All the same, it opens a pleasing field for intelligent speculation. Now, Mrs. Warren, you're quite certain that he's never left the room. You can take it from me, he's never been out farther once. Once? When was that? The first night he was there. I heard him come up the stairs again long after we were abed. Uh, oh, about midnight, I should say. I see. Mr. Holmes, what are you going to do about it? Nothing, at present. Nothing? You have no excuse for intruding upon the man's privacy. After all, Mrs. Warren, you have nothing to complain of. Oh, I guess so. You've received your rent. He's not a troublesome lodger, though certainly an unusual one. But I... I've taken the matter up, and I won't lose sight. Watson, the door for Mrs. Warren, please. Yes, if you'll allow me, ma'am. Well, very good, Mr. Holmes. A report to me if anything fresh occurs. Good day. Good day, sir. Good day, Doctor. Good day, ma'am. The, uh, the first thing that strikes one, Watson... Yes, ma'am? ...is, uh, is the obvious possibility that the person now in the room may be entirely different from the one who engaged them. On the other hand, we have evidence of a man who went out on that first night to return third, but unseen. I don't see why it shouldn't have been the same fellow. A fellow who, according to Mrs. Warren, speaks English very well, yet leaves a note reading Matt, mm -hmm. when it was clear what he required was Matthew. I see. I can imagine someone finding the word in a dictionary which would give the noun, but not the plural. The laconic style of the notes in general may be to conceal the absence of knowledge of English. A substitution of logger, eh? But for what possible end, Holmes? Ah, there lies our problem. There is one rather obvious line of investigation, though. Yes? Now, be a good fellow and hand me that scrapbook our client's arrival forced me to put aside. Right, sir. Ah, isn't that your agony column book? Yes, the agony column of every London journal is filed in here. Oh, dear me, dear me. What a chorus of groans, cries, and bleating. That's part of the paper I was. <laughs> and surely the most valuable hunting ground that ever was given to a student of the unusual. Here are the Daily Gazette extracts for the last fortnight, for instance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the lady with a black bar at Princess Skating Club. Now that we may pass, I fancy. <laughs> surely Jimmy will not break his mother's heart. Dear me. Uh, uh. If the lady who fainted in the Brixton bus... No, I think not. <laughs> ah. Now, this is a little more possible. Mm -hmm. Be patient. We'll find some sure means of communication. Meanwhile, this column, G. That was published two days after Mrs. Warren's lodger arrived. Sounds plausible, doesn't it? I, I really don't follow. Oh, surely it's occurred to you, Watson, that here we have a man living quite alone in conditions which suggest a desire for absolute secrecy. He receives neither letters nor visitors. Yet may we not assume that eventually some news or message is to reach him from outside? The Daily Gazette he has delivered every morning. Precisely. Yes. And here we read in the agony column again, three days later, and making successful arrangements Patience and prudence, the clouds will pass. Gee. Hey, Holmes, you may have found something. Did Gee have anything to say in yesterday's paper? Hmm. Listen to this. 
If I find chance to signal, remember 1A, 2B, and so on. You will hear soon. G. So, each letter of the alphabet represented by a number up to 26. <laughs> Pretty simple stuff, isn't it? Unsophisticated, certainly. But uh, we shall see. No, there was nothing signed G in today. What are we going to do? You, you, you told Mrs. Warren we couldn't interfere. Nor shall we, my dear Watson. We shall busy ourselves with our own affairs, await developments, and above all, a rules with interest, the agony column of tomorrow. Ah. <clears throat> What's it say, Watson? Um, here it is. What we're waiting for. High red house with white stone facing. Third floor, second window left after dusk. Now, I think that after breakfast, we must make a little reconnaissance of Mrs. Warren's neighborhood. It may tell us much of the world. Ah, Mrs. Warren. Oh, I beg pardon for bursting in past your housekeeper, gentlemen. But, but it's a place matter, Dad. Pray sit down. Now, pray sit down. And tell us what news you bring. Uh, a cup of coffee, perhaps. Oh, no, 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 thank you, sir, no. Uh, no, well, I'll see you before. Now, I'll tell you, it's a police matter, Mr. Holmes. I'll have no more of it. You shall pack his bag and go. Mark my word, I would have gone up straight and told him this morning, only I thought it was but fair to you to take your opinion. But I'm at the end of my patience, and when it comes to knocking my old man about, then oh, I... Uh, Mr. Warren, about? Well... Using him roughly, anyway. Who used him roughly, Mrs. Warren? Ah, that's what we want to know. It was this very morning, just before seven, as he went off to his work. Mm-hmm. Well, he hadn't got ten paces down the road when two men came up behind him, threw a coat over his head, and bundled him into a cab that was beside the curb. They drove him for an hour or so, then opened the door, shot him out, and drove off. Mm-hmm. When he picked himself up, he found he was on Hampton Heath. Well, he took a bus home, and, and there he lies on the sofa now, while I came straight down to tell you what had happened. Most interesting. Interesting? Did your husband observe the appearance of these men? Did he hear them talk? Oh, he don't know nothing like that. I tell you, he's condemned. He just knows he was lifted up and dropped as if for magic. And what makes you connect this attack with your lodger, Mrs. Warren? Oh, that's the reason. Fifteen years we've lived there, and nothing like this has ever happened before. Oh, I've had enough of him. Money's not everything. I'll have him out of my house before the day's done, you see. No, no, wait a bit, Mrs. Warren. Do nothing rest. I begin to think that this affair may be very much more important than appeared at first sight. Important, I should say. It's clear now that some danger is threatening your lodger. It's equally clear that his enemies, lying in wait for him near your door, mistook your husband for him in the foggy morning light. On discovering their mistake, they released him. Well, what am I to do, Mr. Holmes? You know, Mrs. Warren, I have a great fancy to see this lodger of yours. I don't see how that should be managed unless you break his door down. Well, he has to take his meal tray in, Holmes, and could we hide somewhere and watch? Oh, there is a box room opposite. Oh, good. Well, suppose we got behind the open door and Mrs. Warren arranged a mirror to, um, to give us a view of the door opposite. Excellent. When does he lunch? About one, sir. Then Dr. Watson and I will come round in time. For the present, Mrs. Warren... Goodbye. Great Ormsby. Ah, handy for the Bridge Museum, eh, Holmes? I doubt whether Mrs. Warren's old man inhabits what he used to be, Watson. Ah, this, I fancy, is that in seven. Yes, it is. Well, at any rate, it wasn't this house our friend G was referring to in his last message. High red house with white stone facings, he said. 
You forget, my dear Watson, there's were assuming the messages to be for the benefit of the mysterious lodger inside this house. His correspondence would scarcely be telling him what his own abode looked like. You see that house nearly opposite, just in Howe Street? Uh, which one? The high red one with white stone facings, of course. Oh, great. And with a select car in the second window on the left of the third floor. It matches Watson. It matches in every particular. Yes, it does. An empty fact which G has access, if I'm not mistaken. I can't see you on the set, gentlemen. I'm sure I'm sorry to keep you waiting. But I heard no ring. No, no, no. My friend and I have paused a moment to admire those splendid residential flats across in House Street, isn't it? Oh, then. Oh, very nice, I'm sure, if you don't mind paying. Now, come inside, gentlemen, please. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Come in, gentlemen. I've got it all ready for you. Now, I've placed a big old mirror in the box room. So she gets a clear view across the passage. Splendid. Now, I won't go up with you, but you go straight onto the top, and the box rooms the open door on the right. Yes. You should hear him room for his meal directly. I've got it all ready on his tray in the kitchen. Thank you, ma'am. Now, Thank you, Watson. Your help. And yours. I didn't expect to find a woman, especially so beautiful a woman. Yes, indeed. Do you reckon she saw us? She saw or sensed something to alarm her. Mm. But her actions were those of a person already alert to some sort of danger. Well, what do you make of it now, Holmes? A couple seek refuge from some danger. A terrible and instant danger, to judge from the rigor of their precautions. The man, who has some work which he must do, desires to leave the woman in absolute safety while he does he engages the room for himself alone, then substitutes her so effectively that even the landlady who supplies the food is unaware. The printed messages I now see were to prevent their right of sex being discovered from her handwriting. The man cannot come near the woman, or he'll guide their enemies to her. It's the Holmes Watson, the root of it. Ah, yes, Watson. Severely practical as usual. What is at the root of it all? 
You saw that woman's face and the fear written in it. Oh, that's true. The attack upon Mr. Warren shows that the enemy, whoever they are, are not aware of the substitution of the female lodger for the male. Yes. Had they got the man they expected, who knows what might have eventuated. Well, I see all that, but, but what's your position in it now, Holmes? I mean, what have you to gain from it? Ah, what indeed. To repeat your own words, Watson, art for art's sake. Uh-uh. There's neither money nor credit in it, and yet one would wish to tidy it up. When dusk comes, we'll return to Mrs. Warren's room. So what do you intend to do there? To take up a vantage point in one of the good lady's front windows and keep our eyes on that vacant flat in house tree. Remember G's latest advertisement, Watson? After dusk. Ah, yes. And his earlier one, outlining a simple signaling code? Yes. Then you'd better bring pencil and paper. For unless my imagination's running away with me, I take it that a message is about to be conveyed by G to his dark damsel by means of some form of light. And you, my dear fellow, will oblige me by counting the flashes and writing them down while I translate the numbers into letters and, we hope, into words of significant meaning. Twenty flashes, Holmes. Three again. One. No, just one. Eight. Hello, it seems to stop. For the moment, only. Keep watching while I puzzle this out. All the tedious way to pass a message waving a candle flame to and fro. Attentar. I expected attention, but definitely only one flash at the end. Certainly a day. Now let me see. At ten. This could be it. We started again. Keep counting. It's imperative to miss nothing. Uh, one again. Another eight. Mr. Holmes. Terry. Come and go, sir. 
May I introduce you to Mr. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson? Watson? The honor's all mine, gentlemen. This is Mr. Leverton of Pinkerton's National Detective Agency in America. The hero of the Long Island Cave Mystery? Sir, I'm pleased to meet you. And I, you, Mr. Holmes. And the celebrated Dr. Watson. Ah, pleasure, Mr. Leverton. So what brings you here? <laughs> and got up as Gregson's cabby. I'm on the trail of my life now, gentlemen. If I can get Gorgiano. What? Gorgiano? Of the Red Circle? The very same. We've learned all about him in America. We know he's at the bottom of 50 murders, maybe a lot more, yet we've nothing positive to take him on. I tracked him over here from New York, and I've been close to him for a week in London. Mr. Gregson and I ran him to ground in this apartment house tonight. Oh, the newspaper message is signed by G in the signals. Surely this means that it's Gorgiano is the signaler, and the woman over in Mrs. Warren's is some sort of accomplice. He's been signaling to an accomplice. And you said the signal broke off short just now, didn't you, Doctor? That's right. Confound it. That means he suddenly spotted us down here, Gregson. Even now, he'll be trying to pick up some way of getting clear of us without coming through this door. Don't look over that. What do you suggest, Mr. Holmes? That we go up at once and see for ourselves. We've no warrant for his arrest. We just have to follow him till he makes some false move. Just a moment. Did you say he was signaling from an empty flat, Doctor Watson? That's right. There's an agent's bill in the window. It is on unoccupied premises under suspicious circumstances. Well, the excuse we've been waiting for, evidently. Come on, gentlemen. This is the door. Then stand back, gentlemen. If he starts shooting, there's no sense in more than one of us getting in the way. Oh, no, you don't, Gifferton. London dangers are the privilege of the London force. Just step aside and hold this lantern, if you please. All right, good, you know. In the name of the law. Good Lord. Bring the lantern, quick. There you are. Holy mackerel. It's got Jano, all right, but I guess someone else got here ahead of us. Let me see, please. Great heavens. A knife headed up to the hilt in his throat. No question of it. He's dead. What are you doing, Miss Holmes? I found the candle that was being used for signaling. I know the code, and I'm resuming the signal where he left off, though in rather a different vein, which I fancy may be helpful. Uh, by the way, Gregson, I believe you said three people came out of the building while you were keeping watch. That's right. Should you say one of them was a youngish man, perhaps a foreigner, and very well dressed? You're right there, Mr. Holmes. I picked him for an Italian without a doubt. Don't say we've missed someone, an accomplice. Quite the contrary, I believe. But I think he is the man you seek now. There. That's enough signaling. What do you want it for? This murder? Precisely. But a fat chance there of finding one young foreigner in the whole of London. That's why I've summoned you some aid. What's that? Patience for a few minutes, Gregson, and all shall be made safe. I do not know what to thank you, but, but what is the matter? It's the moment to come here. Where is it? I signaled, madam. But how could you? I knew your cipher, and your presence here was desirable. I knew that I had only to flash Guillaume with the candle flame, and you would respond to your G. However, this death is not our doing. But Gennaro, where is my husband, Gennaro Luca? 
My Gennaro is done this thing. My splendid, beautiful Gennaro killed the monster. We are free. Oh, Gennaro mio, what woman could be worth with such a man? That's all very well, Mrs. Looker, but murder is murder, and I'm afraid I'll settle uh, One moment, Jackson. This lady may be as anxious to give us information as we are to get it. Now that Gorgiani is dead, we fear nothing, signore. I tell you all. My name is Emilia Luca. I come from Pusillipo, near Napoli. My Gennaro was in my father's employment. Hallelujah. But he was Stuart, and my father forbid us to marry. So we ran away to New York. Oh, well. For four years, my husband obtained employment, and with the rest. Then one night, my Gennaro bring home another man, this Gorgiano. Everything about him is like a monster. His body, his talk, his temper, his... Uh, what you say? His passion. Again and again, after that, he comes to our home. I see that my poor Gennaro does not wish it. But still he comes. Why not stop him then? <laughs> One night, my Gennaro tells me why. In his younger days, when he wishes to protest against the injustices of life... He has joined the Napolitan Society. The Red Circle. We know it. They have many secrets. And they swear terrible oaths. When we go to America, my Gennaro thinks he has cast off all that forever. But the monster Gorgiano has already made a bunch of the society in New York. He compels my Gennaro to join. With threats to his life, if he wouldn't, I guess. See, see, but if I left is to come. The monster comes one night to our home. When Gennaro is out, he demands from me the, the love. I refuse. He sees me. He plans me to go away with him. I refuse. We struggle. Then my Gennaro comes in. He knocks the monster down. But we know we are no longer safe in New York. In all America. When Gordiano recovers, he will hunt my Gennaro to kill him. While he's still unconscious, we leave home. We fancy things. We come to London. We are safe. Then one day, my Gennaro noticed two Italians following him. And another day, he sees the monster himself in the street. He will not stand for sure. My Gennaro puts me to live in the room he has taken. So that the men who were following will seem to stay there all the time and they'll not come out. While I hide, he will find evidence against the monster to take to the police. All these things, Gorgiano just sees him and follows him here where he would wish to see them. But my brave Gennaro was ready and that killed him. Gentlemen, I ask. Who would condemn my Gennaro for what he has done? Well, Mr. Gregson, I don't know what your British point of view may be, but I guess that in New York, this lady's husband will be getting a pretty general vote of thanks. Uh, maybe, Mr. Everton, maybe, but uh, she'll have to come with me to the yard and see the chief. Don't worry, madam. If what you say is corroborated, oh, I don't reckon you'll have much to fear. Or your husband. Let me find him. Oh, grazie, signore. Mille, mille grazie. Uh, quite. What I uh, 
classmate here will tell them so. How about lazy you got mixed up in the matter? <laughs> Education, Gregson. Education. Still repeating knowledge of the old university. Why? How's that? Well, Watson. Yes, sir. You have one more specimen of the tragic and grotesque to add to your collection. I have indeed heard of it. Oh, by the way, it's not yet eight o'clock, and a father night at Cotton Garden. If we hurry, we might be in time for the second act. <laughs> Good night, gentlemen. All right, um, I'm coming. Conan Doyle was adapted for radio by Michael Hardwick. The part of Sherlock Holmes was played by Carlton Hobbs and Dr. Watson by Norman Shelley. Mrs. Warren, Grace Allardyce, Gennaro, Robert Rieti, Inspector Gregson, Humphrey Morton, Leverton, Robert Howey, Emilia, Gigi Gatti. The production was by Graham Gore. On Radio 2 at 8.15 next Tuesday, you can hear... The Lion's Mane. <laughs>